Hello, welcome to another episode of Faith and Honor. I'm Father Bart Gingrich. If you like the show, we always appreciate you sharing that with other folks that would enjoy the podcast, as well as good reviews like thumbs up and five stars. We also have Patreon subscribe star if you're interested in supporting us that way. Today, we have a really, uh, I hope, interesting and fruitful episode. Uh, joining me is Father Tony Welty. Uh, to- Father Tony, how are you? Father Welty. I'm good, Bart. I'm good. Thank you. Tell us about yourself. <clears throat> okay, well, um, I uh, am currently serving in Shreveport, Louisiana, and my wife and I have been here for full-time three years, but uh, before that, we were commuting over from East Texas, so um, for five years during this revitalization process, and so I was bivocational at that point. Um, so before that, I, so I've been in the Reformed Episcopal Church about uh, eight years. And before that, I served in the Episcopal Church for about 12. And so um, prior to that, prior to my life in the ministry, I was in commercial banking and investment banking and um, and then served as a uh, served in the finance world for a bit, even during my ministry, you know, when I was uh, bivocational. So um, Shereen and I have been married about 30. Gosh, I should I, I I shouldn't have started this. I don't have the exact I think about 35 years and uh, we have four grown children and five grandchildren, and um, so that's pretty much me. Yeah, um, and I've gotten to know you because in the Reformed Episcopal Church, uh, we have cohorts mm-hmm. uh, to help uh, various pastors improve um, their ministry. I, I don't know if improves the right word, but uh, places of counsel <laughs> and support and ideas, really. And one cohort is church planting, and the other cohort is church revitalization. Right. And when you say that, most people, I think, these days know what that means, mm-hmm. but they might not. And so could you give me like a very short dictionary kind of uh, definition of what parish revitalization is and means? Sure. Um, well, I, I, the first thing I would say, Bart, is... Um, one of the differences between a plant and a revitalization effort is <clears throat> planting is, I would say, is more um, uniform in the sense that you there are some predictable factors, and that is you're usually going into a specific area, usually high growth. Um, you go with a team of people, you go with a strategic plan, usually you go with funding, things like that. Revitalization is really everything else. And that is, you know, most churches, I think the statistics now are, um, at least as a couple, as far as a couple of years ago, uh, 65% of churches on a Sunday morning in America have fewer than 100 people. And um, so those are the churches that, you know, something happens, and either there's, they, these churches enter a period of stagnation, or they, they've plateaued for years, and then they begin to decline, and they're in some stage of dying. Um, and so to revitalize the church simply by even by by the you know the definition of the word, you're assuming there was a period of vitality. Mm-hmm. And that's not always true. You may have some churches that just kind of rocked along for years and years, but something's happened. And so um either a diocesan structure or you know, um someone rarely this happens, but someone in the church says, Hey, we better do something, or or this church is gonna vanish. Um and so to revitalize it just simply means to breathe new life into it. And so, you know, one of the, the primary passages we use in thinking about church revitalization is 1 Corinthians 3.6, which simply says, you know, Paul, 
um, said he planted, Apollos watered, but God's the one who gives the growth. And so the way I look at revitalization is there are some humans involved. You know, there's usually a revitalizer. And then you're working with God to breathe, as he breathes new life into this congregation. Um, so it can be, as you know, Bart, it can be a very difficult, very challenging work. And at the same time, there's um, it can be very it can be joyful as well, because you see see things happen that only God could have done. And um, so you get to rejoice in that and participate in that work, which is really, really spectacular. Yeah. And and kind of also, I, I guess, uh, at a more basic level, mm -hmm. church planning, you're starting a new church, right? You're starting right. a new congregation yeah, right. as a mission and then working out from there. Revitalization, you uh, start the work with a pre-existing congregation, a pre-existing exactly. parish that's not doing well. Um, right. it's, there's some trends downward or even it's in the red zone. It's going to, uh, fail. It's, yep. it's, it's going to dissolve. It's not going to, you know, make budget. It's not, it's just going to cease to be mm -hmm. unless something changes. Right. And, um, I think a lot of pastors can hop into situations like this. Uh, and I think this is also a great need because, you want to get beyond just shuffling around the same sheep and start working to bring sheep that aren't even in the fold yet, right? To That's evangelize right. and convert, whether through um, actual conversations with non-believers mm -hmm. and and worse, working with them, but also children, right? Um, right. Having children, catechizing the kids, keeping them in the faith. And so um, a lot of what we have to deal with when we're talking about, like you said, revitalization, um, is exactly what you're talking about with Corinthians, which is this mm -hmm. understanding of uh, we didn't, we're not the ones that planted the seed here to right. begin with, but we've got to start watering and maybe weeding. And, right. and then God does bring forth the glory. It is an act of faith mm -hmm. and an entrusting of the work to God's grace, um, and, which is really important. Absolutely. And I say that and and I'm I'm so appreciate you open with that scriptural truth because what is what are some ways this can go wrong even before we start talking about what it is <laughs> right if you don't have the right assumption what is the mentality no oh, gosh <clears throat> yeah if you so if you try to I can't imagine that Bart I can't imagine taking <laughs> on a venture like this and saying you know I you when I was coming out of seminary and this was you know twenty plus years ago, um, there was like a, at that point, there weren't memes, you know, there were just like cartoons. And so I think there was one in like in the Wall Street Journal, and it just had a guy, you know, that said, uh, basically, it was a square peg in a round hole. And he's like, I'm going to make this thing fly. And um, <clears throat> I think if you if you start out in that way, it, the first thing that happens is you take way too much responsibility on yourself for the fruit. And it's just, you can just, you know, I even, I like the way you frame the question because it's almost like you're dead meat before you even begin. And if you, if you take the entire burden of renewing even one person on your shoulders, it's, you know, you're setting yourself up for a spectacular failure. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that we do, we talk about a lot in this church is, um, Health, your health is the revitalizer, and then you you have to begin with yourself. And so I think that the 
um, the, being healthy means having that right perspective. And so, yeah, you're, so I'm, I know I'm participating with God as he does this great work. And so there's a tremendous freedom in that, even thinking correctly about what we're doing, you know. Well, this was interesting, right? I'm going to fix it just the same way. If I get the right engineering skills, if I get the right methods and techniques and resources to bear, I will manufacture revival. Right. And and this is the ghost of um, Mr. Finney. Um, as we've talked about before, uh, right. and really, you don't want to take that on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, God, God, for, God, protect you if you succeed. Right, <laughs> right? and then that right. you start buying the lie uh, that uh, you know you can do this, and that that's going to be healthy for the church. Right, and also, um, I for a lot of, for most of us mortals, um, that doesn't happen anyway, and yeah. you're going to burn out. Uh, pretty quickly that's right um moving on from there then once you start doing the work once you Mm -hmm. commit yourself to being god's instrument um that's that's what we're talking about here yeah you as a shepherd in the flock and so this is directed usually it's uh presbyters that Mm -hmm. come in to lead something maybe there's a small team Mm -hmm. of of uh of a presbyter or maybe a deacon or maybe you know i haven't known a bishop to do this while he's a bishop but that and maybe some lay folks coming in mm-hmm. what are some like problems we run into because something is wrong usually what is going right. on in a parish that is on a trend line to extinction um, right there can be a lot of things and I'll put one thing off to the side that we won't talk about, which is if you're in a neighborhood or community that is as a whole emptying out. Right. Because yeah. if the factory closed down and everyone's moving out, they can't actually make a living or there's been a terrible dust bowl drought. Mm-hmm. Of course, churches are going to shutter just because there literally aren't people there. Right. But if you're in a place where that isn't, the trend you know the case on the ground and this parish is failing what do we often run into yeah so what you're what we're doing all of us are doing is we're inheriting a culture Hmm. and so one of the first my what i advise everyone is the first thing to do is do an assessment you know because the part of you know it's it's difficult to begin doing a work unless you know where you are who's there um, who were kind of the power brokers. And I, one of the things I did when I first got to this church was um, began looking at, numerically looking at um, the numbers, because the numbers always tell a story. And if you go back and look at, look at the church records, even things like average Sunday attendance and like at least 10 years worth, go back and look at who's, you know, how, how who's coming basically, and then how many people have been coming for what period of time, and then what are the trends? That'll give you some information about uh, an inciting event, and um, so that's always important. So, if as you're looking at the culture, you want to look numerically at um, what story is being told, and then is is part of the culture. I enjoy this is strange, I know, but I actually enjoy this going back and reading old vestry minutes. Mm. And the reason is those are a goldmine for figuring out what, how was this culture made in this church, at least over the last decade. 
And you're going to see you're going to continue you're going to see familiar names. You're going to see patterns of behavior that are there. Um, so and so always said this, and this person always challenged what they said. Or you know, um, the rector was either really supported by the vestry in our context, or was not was opposed at every point. And so, getting a sense of the culture is really important through by assessing who's there, who's been there, and then um, so one of the one of the principal things that I've seen Bart is um, something. There's either a pattern that was established where there was either a patriarch or a matriarch or one family system in a small church and they just at some point grabbed control of the the church and have never let go hmm. and so if that's one of the, i think one of the most difficult scenarios is for someone to drop into where that family's still there and so if nothing has changed there's been no there's been no uh inciting event maybe the family left or they're you know they're through a natural attrition they're leaving um it's I would say it's almost impossible to go in and change a culture um where everyone's still there. And so as you said, the the culture is is contributing to a decline to the point of this church is going to go away. And so the one of the biggest issues I think is control. And so as as a new person, a new rector or priest, you go in and you're trying to to make changes, but uh one of the one of the phrases I love was from uh, management guru uh, Peter Drucker years ago, and he said, um, "Culture eats strategy for breakfast." Mm-hmm. And his he saw you know you see this in the business world, you see it in churches, and I think really your a new strategy in the midst of a, a culture that is existing and is unhealthy is really at some point a waste of time. And you're like, you know what? First, you have to address those cultural factors. And so the big one is that that a desire for control. And the other one I would say that's most common is it's just the congregation is aging. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, there's a hundred percent death rate for humans, and all of us are going to die at some point. And so if you have a congregation that's they've run through all their resources. Um, it's really difficult, but I, you know, I found that here when we came to Shreveport, and it's a wonderful group of people. And um, the culture changed. It took five years mm. while I was bivocational, you know, coming over just on Sundays, and over that period of time, the culture did change. And so it was really a, a best case scenario for us because in that period of time, by the time I got here full time, it was a clean slate. The culture was new. And then it was really like pushing an open door. And so at that point, we, we started to implement a strategy and it worked because all those other factors had already been addressed. Um, but I think those are the big two, Bart. I think it's just that you have controlling personalities um, and then you just have that an aging congregation. So the people, even the lovely people here, when I would go to them and say, hey, what do you think about this idea? Because of their age and their longevity in the church, they're like, you know what? I already I've done that for most of my life. I'm not interested. You know, we want you to succeed here. We want the church to thrive, but I really don't want to be a part of it. I just want to spectate. Right. And so that's a challenge. That can be a challenge. Right. Well, this is interesting too because um, one is just a facts of life thing. Of, mm-hmm. you, you know, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm t- right. Uh, and and. Um, that is a real challenge and and something that can be really hard to overcome right 
the issue of really it's it's sinful where there's mm-hmm. a really toxic culture and it's either one person or maybe an inner ring mm-hmm. like c.s lewis would talk about kind yep. of an inner cabal that runs the place and right. it's it's their club uh it functions how they want and their view of whoever pastors that church whatever priest would come in their view of you is you are the chaplain for their exactly. life. Exactly. Exactly. You show up uh, to baptize my grandkids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you um, maybe visit me in the hospital or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. You for sure will marry my kids. Uh, no questions asked. And um, you will do my funeral. And maybe, you know, you'll show up for a VFW event or something. Um, (laughs) You're a chaplain. You add the ceremonial spice to their life as a wider cultural lifestyle. Um, And uh, Lord preserve you if you decide to actually be their pastor and say, well, it's time to repent of sin. It's time Mm -hmm. to exercise your talents for God's glory. It's time to reach out to our wider community with the gospel and try something risky, right? This is what happens. Like a -hmm. culture that's dysfunctional will not take risks and endure in taking risks because maybe the first thing you try that's risky does fall flat. Mm -hmm. And you got to keep going again, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, But uh, if if a church, you know, if the culture's not there and willing to kind of go in for the long haul, in fact, if they don't want to change at all, they just want you to somehow wave a magic wand, the church will grow, it's not going to happen. Right. That's right. Um, and one thing that, even before that culture changes, one thing that seems to occur in some of, a lot of the discussions I hear from revitalizers almost i won't say to a one but whenever they come into the situations where there's a really toxic parish culture is there always seems to be a climactic battle or campaign at which either the toxic people in the church leave or repent yes or possibly get nudged out from the center away from the control panel Right. Which is sad to see, but mm-hmm. not that sad because, again, they are driving the plane into a nosedive. Right. And what happens, and this is a hypothesis, and you can maybe correct me. A lot of parish revitalization in other parts of the church, even in the Anglican parts of the Anglican world, mm-hmm. um, the way that gets dealt with like all revitalizers i would say even in other traditions run into this yes like the really dysfunctional center of the culture problem um you can pick the fight to 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 aggravate and then finally lance the boil yeah um and an easy one to pick is wrecking the liturgy (laughs) right it's Really? Like, okay, the secret cobble likes the way the music's always been done. They like their choir and organ. Um, They'll even pay 
for a choir organist that isn't even a member of their church, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's right. That's if you're a chaplain, that's their life, right? And so, an easy way to pick a fight to deal with the culture problem is to switch to contemporary Christian worship. Gosh, yes, that's it. This is. This is a hypothesis of mine, but when you see church revitalization projects in other parts of the church, they often look like casual, you know, they make the church more casual, basically. Right. They make it boomer, and they say it's actually more millennial, but or Gen Z or whatever, but mm-hmm. what they do is pick the fight, and the fight they pick is what we're going to sing on Sunday morning and how we're going to dress and you know, the furniture, and then so on and so forth, the yeah. the labeling, and then we become a lifestyle brand, maybe or maybe not. And mm-hmm. that will tick off the group that actually needs to be ticked off. Mm-hmm. And it's an easy thing to pick because it appeals to the broader culture for sure, this kind of music, this kind of singing, mm-hmm. and it starts the fight. Um, you're like, gosh, that sounds bad to pick a fight. Not necessarily. This is one right. that this is a bad culture. These are bad actors. Right. For those of us who understand the the power of the liturgy and we value it and it's kind of been a lifeline for us, we know it's good for Christ's disciples. We don't have that luxury. Right. I, I think this is kind of what I think is really interesting in, in our cohort. Um w- w- that's not an option for us. Throwing out the prayer book. And throwing out the great hymns of the Christian faith that people need on their deathbed and in prison and in whatever sorrows happen in this life, right? Um, right. That's not an option. They, they, It's good for God's people to have that. Mm-hmm. And so what often, if I may be so bold, we have to pick different fights. Right. Um, and that's kind of what makes it hard. If you're a traditional sort of Christian, a traditional sort of Anglican, you don't get the luxury of doing hippie music or Coldplay <laughs> music or U2 music or whatever, Imagine Dragons music, right? To pick the fight, you have it usually arises out of something else. Yeah. Um, and I think that varies pretty widely. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, the 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 zit comes to a head. <laughs> and then, and sometimes the revitalizer, whether it's the team or just uh, the the pastor, loses, mm-hmm. and just has to walk away, and that's incredibly painful. Like, yes. how do you get up from that? Or um, it really does get dealt with, and mm-hmm. and the bad culture changes. What do you? Am I am I sniffing up the wrong tree here, or is that something that we kind of run into as? Traditional Anglicans who also want to revitalize parishes, this is a fairly unique dynamic we run into. Right. I, I think you're right on target, Bart. And um, there is now there is one way you can pick a fight if you were so bold to do it. And you could. So we're a 1928 prayer book church. And I think many of those in our cohort are as well. There is a new prayer book. And even, you know, there's a 2019 prayer book from ACNA. Um, now that if I were stupid, you know, if I were more stupid than I am bold, 
I could pick that fight if I if I said, you know what, it's time for a, we have to get we have to incite this conflict so that we can work through it so that we can move forward. That is one way you could do it and say, you know what, um, we're gonna we're gonna try this. We're gonna do a new service, or you know, we're gonna just switch the twenty eight for the twenty nineteen. Um, but the you know, and I've actually kind of approach that in a different way saying at some point in the future we may need to have an additional service and i would not be opposed to a family service you know that's more a little more contemporary but uh, but uh, but that was when i first got it i've really changed my mind about that and the reason is there's there's an existing flock that's here mm-hmm. and so in order to pick the fight with the troublemakers i'd be injuring the other sheep Mm-hmm. And I really don't want to do that. And I, they didn't, they didn't, they don't deserve that. And so I think, but I think you're, I think you're correct, Bart, in the sense that I do think there comes a time as if you, if the church is going to move forward, you do have to, it's almost, I think you, I think the language you're using, the imagery is correct. And that is, you're going to have to, you're going to have to go at these people. Um, and, and, I think there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. Yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Because- yeah, and I think the right way to do it is you you have, and so we have the luxury of, in the Reformed Episcopal Church of having a very, very stout um, diocesan structure. Mm. Our constitution and canons are your friend if you're a revitalizer. Um, there are some wonderful documents that were, I don't know, I don't know when they were produced, but I used them. And there's one called a short manual for vestries and parish councils. I like that document uh, a lot. Oh my gosh, it has been a lifesaver here, and I use it every year for our, when our vestry, our new members roll on. We do a vestry retreat, and I walk them through that. I take it about an hour, an hour and a half, and um, it's redundant for those who have been on the vestry, but it sets the tone for the vestry for the coming year, and it's it it's very very clear and who's responsible for what. And who has the authority? So it always comes down to authority. Who has it? And then as the rector, how are you going to use it? Are you going to be a wise rector or are you going to be, you know, uh, someone who gets basically pushed around? Um, And so there's a lot of bullying that takes place in congregations. And, you know, I've seen that so many times. I'm sure you have, too. And I think you alluded to that earlier of uh, priests getting bullied by you know, that power structure, whoever it is, the group uh, of people. And so the the number one issue or number one resource I think we have is the delegated authority that we have from our bishop. Mm-hmm. And so whenever they, because, you know, uh, one of the things that um, I'm going to do a, uh, we're, we're actually leaving Monday, um, we're going to go to England and um, I'm going to do a, a clergy clergy day for the the clergy for the northern diocese of the free church of england and so one of the big things i'm going to share with them is that is that you know the the best friend that you have is your diocesan bishop and then all of those structures that are in place because they're a third object and it's not personal so when you're going at these these people that are wanting to control the church or being damaging um, it actually preserves the pastoral relationship you have with them and so you can say hard things to them and basically say, your days of controlling this church are over. And at the same time, I'm, I want to be your priest. I want to be your pastor. But there's a new sheriff in town, and it's me. And so almost as you know, you, anytime you set a boundary with either children or adults, it doesn't matter. There's an immediate pushback 
And it's like, so I have the authority and it's like, well, we'll see about that. And so that's, I think that's the way that we've done it here is, and now the fight is on. Right. And so you have to be, you have to, you know, I know our, we have a wonderful bishop in Bishop Ray Sutton. And I think his phone rings off the hook from all of us who are revitalizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, last summer I went, I went through that exact scenario and um, he just had such wisdom and I was ready to literally, I was scheduling lunches with people with my senior ward. And I'm like, all right, we're going to go fight in the parking lot. I'm sick of this. We need to go, go through this. And he just had his way of saying, you know, there may, there may be some other ways to do it. And so just talk to me off the ledge and thank God he did because I needed that wisdom from him. Hmm. Um, he's the only person that I, that I would have received it from at that point. Cause I thought it was right. You know, this, hmm. ha- this, we have to fight that we have to duke it out and work through this. So. Interesting. So yeah. you used in a sense, the Episcopal polity and actually listen, we have these authorities and we actually are going to base our life on, on this shared. Yes. You know, this is, this is, this is the, this is how we function. And then Mm -hmm. that um, sparks what needs to be sparked in terms of what we need to deal with culturally. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's so different when you're, you know, if you're in a, most people in America today that are, you know, fairly biblical Christians default yeah. to a Baptist congregational mindset. Right. Where you go in, you might have some patrons supporting you, but you've got to deal with it. Um, and maybe you have some people to whine about or talk shop with. Um, right. Maybe there's some parachurch ministry that will help you. Different when you say, actually, we're an extension of a wider diocese. Yes, much different. And even that, that means what would be called an antagonist in the church you know yes there's exactly a, there's good book good books about these sorts of things yes. um freaks out because they want to be in control mm-hmm. and then suddenly just this the traditional understanding of episcopal governance sparks enough you know freaks them out enough that they're a narcissist enough That's which they right. often are uh-oh i'm not going to be in charge time to throw a fit and right. work from there I've also seen uh, it noticed sometimes it happens when the big thing we're going to try that probably has a good chance of success in terms of outreach to the community, um, the bad actors will try to stifle it or suffocate it or yes. make it just not launch. Absolutely. And then just saying, no, we're going to do this because we're going to die otherwise. And yeah. getting enough of the parish to get on board with that and then it succeeds, that's another way. Absolutely. It, because yep. then the church builds up. Um, you don't have a um, a very small group to pull from for volunteers and for leaders in the parish. The culture does change by addition. Mm-hmm. That's right. Sometimes it can be by subtraction. They just say, no, we don't want to do it, and they leave. Um, we don't want to do a parish school. Roll the rock over my house. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not coming to church ever again, or your church. Right or an outreach ministry or whatever, and then people actually start coming. Right. It's addition by subtraction, yeah. It can be subtraction, or it can be just like, well, you're not on the vestry anymore, it's time to bring the new blood on, and it's that's that's almost ideal, right? Because even these bad actors need Jesus. um, That's right. And hopefully they can change, right? Yeah. 
And, that, and Bart, that's one of the things that a mentor, when I was in the business world, shared, said to me one time that good governance solves 80% of your headaches. Mm-hmm. And that's that's and that's exactly what we're talking about here is utilizing those structures that are in place to help you in the revitalization process. And that even goes to how you run your vestry meetings. Right. And um, it, I mean, that's where a lot of the that's at least in theory, that's where the battle should take place. My experience has been that's rarely what happens. Um, everyone's on their best behavior. I run my vestry meetings like a business meeting. We have an agenda. Um, we only talk about what's on the agenda. If you have another item, we'll push it to the next month or not. But what I've noticed here is that the conversations that need to happen there happen after the meeting, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. either the parking lot or at the local bar or something, you know. And so, so that's frustrating. But still, over time, if you get the governance piece right. It really is is going to be a, a, a helpful factor, and I think it's, it's necessity as a necessity for a healthy congregation. So that's what you're aiming at, right? As a new revitalizer, you're not aiming for growth necessarily. You're aiming for health, right? Right, and then healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. That's right. Um, and this is when I want to kind of turn to the virtues and practices necessary to be a revitalizer. To be yes. God's instrument, even if you quote unquote don't win, right? We're we're talking about right. these situations where you don't even end up changing the culture. Maybe you have to start somewhere else or something. Yeah, that's right. You know, that again, that's a real risk. And and you've got to first of all have to have the courage to make those risks. That's right. It's not for wimps. But then the big thing we uh this is your saying, and we keep saying it because it clicks. Keep chopping wood. That's it. That's it, Bart. Yeah. Um, you've got to keep chopping wood, keep at it, keep having those interactions in the parking lot, but also keep putting <laughs> ideas, keep putting before the the congregation's notice what we need to be focusing on. What what would you add into that? So in the, in terms of keep chopping wood, what do we mean when we say that? So that that saying I first heard that um Gosh, 20 years ago, I was watching a, a college football game, and um, Greg Schiano was the coach for Rutgers University. And so he had picked it up from someone else, but he very much was a revitalizer. And so he went into, a, I think Rutgers had won one, one bowl game um, in their history, like in 1975. Mm-hmm. And so that's when they kind of peaked. And then so Greg Schiano came in, I think, around like the year 2000. And he was there for five years, and I think he he adopted that term. He had picked up from someone at the University of Miami. And so he built the culture around that idea of just keep chopping wood. And so it became, if you go back and look at old footage um, from then, you can see that player. there's actually a really good uh, document. I think they have on their website. You can go back and look at it. But their players bought into the idea, keep chopping wood. So the idea is... Um, just every day you get up and you you start over again. And so if you're playing a sport and, you know, in football, if you get knocked on your tail, you shake it off. You get back up and you go right at, go right back in the next play over and over and over again. In church revitalization efforts, it's not so different than that. And that is that, you know, you're going to have some successes, some wins pastorally, some failures. Um Sometimes you have a great meeting. Sometimes your meeting went south very, very quickly, and you have to do repair work. 
But the idea behind keep chopping wood is you just keep at it. And that's where I think what's so important is that, um, you know, the, the primary verse that we use from 1 Corinthians is the way, the reason we can keep chopping wood is ultimately we're not, we're not responsible for the results. And if God is the one who makes things grow, then the results are up to God. And so that gives me that freedom of saying, even if I tried a new idea or tried a new ministry and it failed, that doesn't mean I'm a failure or the the church is a failure. You just try something new. Just keep at it and keep. Ch- so that's the that's the idea behind it. And like you said, we've adopted it. And then I love, you know, we have three Brits in our group now. And one of the things that just cracks me up is we'll say that, you know, one of our guys from Arkansas will say, you know, you keep chopping wood. And then one of our guys adopted it in England, but said, well, you keep cutting the wood. And it just, it sounds so different. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, well, kind of, and you're like, no, he's got it. He's got it. You keep cutting the wood. And so um, whatever metaphor you use, I think, you know, that one has worked for us. And I think, you know, uh, other guys have had different things, but I, I do think you need something. Yeah. And that is in order for you to be healthy and you, you just need some, and what it gets at is a work ethic is I have this work ethic God is going to make this church grow according to his time and um, his design. But by his grace, he's He's privileged me to be here to get after it and, and to do those things that I can do that are within my sphere of influence and control. And um, so and once I think once you have that, you know, and you've adopted that for yourself and your team, I, and we, that's happened here. The congregation adopts it too, just like the Rutgers football players did. The congregation's like, yeah, that's what we do. We just keep at it. We keep yeah. at it no matter what happens. Keep plugging. Be a plugger. Keep, yeah, keep plodding, plodding along. Yeah. I, I, and again, that's not flashy. Uh, no. That's not something you sell in a book easily. <laughs> no. Uh, no, it's like, oh, I want, you know, fast results. I want a big yes. turnaround. And silver bullet. Mm-hmm. You can you can manufacture enthusiasm and a spectacle. Yeah. And Americans in particular love a spectacle. Yes. And you can get butts and seats. Mm-hmm. But that's not what we seek to do. We seek to beckon the sheep of the flock to the good shepherd, to feed and nourish right. them, to care for them, to seek out when they're lost, uh, the lost sheep of Christ's flock, but with an understanding of what you're going to win them with is what you're going to win them to. Yeah, that's right. And I, I've noticed we REC, we like front porch ministries as a way for people to get to know people in the church. People outside the church get to know us in the church. And it, it seems to me some, you know, really interesting ministries in various parishes and plants. Um, mm-hmm. Knitting, you know, whatever um but one thing that seems to be there is what you actually are good at or enjoy is what you offer exactly because if you're gonna have to do it a long time you know over and over and you want to sustain that Mm -hmm. um don't make it something that you're you can't do you don't like to do and you're going to be miserable the whole time you you're a marathon runner you need to you know, get into things that you like, and then God can raise up people that do completely different things that you would have absolutely no interest, desire, or talent in. Exactly. And they do that. And 
that I think is important to think about as well. Yeah. Because we approach it not with the idea of a sprint, but as a marathon. Right. Um, which can be different. If you are working with a short time window to set up a parish mission and resources are limited, right? You've got to actually, the limited resources are on, based on time. Um, and that can happen in a revitalization too. Mm -hmm. You might have to sprint when you first come in. Right. Things need to change fast. Yeah. But otherwise, if you can get there earlier in the downturn, mm -hmm. um, you're you're going to be running a marathon, hopefully, and and that's right. riding that out. And that's actually another really helpful analogy, Bart, because I've never run a marathon. I ran a half marathon uh, years ago, and um, you know, I learned from one one. I was like, "Well, how do you train for this thing?" And so, one person who was an expert said, "You're really, if you think about it, is you're running one mile thirteen times, and what you do is you run a mile, walk a minute, run a mile, walk a minute." And so, that's a, I think a very helpful image in in revitalization as well. And you don't have to do everything today. And in fact, you're you're we the way we approach it is seasonally within each year. You know, we plan for, um, we'll do four, basically it's a newsletter, but we, um, you know, share with the congregation, here's what we're doing basically over the next three months. Mm. Um, and so it does, that accomplishes a number of things. One is, you know, you may have noticed this too in your congregation, but people like to commit to short-term things. Yep. And so they'll, they'll commit, if you're doing a, a four-week class, they're much more likely to commit mm. to it than if you, it's just an ongoing thing that's offered forever. And um, but it's the same principle. They'll commit to running one mile, thirteen times, but not commit to running thirteen miles at the same time. And so I think Congre uh, parish ministry for revitalization is very similar to that. And um, so you just you meet people where they are, and um, just just break the the work down into to pieces that are manageable and you know even psychologically don't feel like they're they're overwhelming but i can you know most people who do that i can commit to a four-week sunday morning class on whatever um i'll do it so so that's another another analogy that i think is really helpful for people because in it you know one of the things we talked about in our cohort is that self-care piece is so important and um early on in my ministry i, I learned that uh it really you if you approach each day as there's three parts in, in every day and um, you work two out of the three. And so that's been really helpful, especially on Wednesdays. You know, we have that's a really heavy ministry day for us. And so, um, you know, it starts early and it goes late. And so just having that framework of saying, all right, if I'm working two part, two of the three parts of the day, then the morning's full, the evening's full. So in the afternoon, I'm going to do something like go cut the grass or mm -hmm. go for a walk or do something that I enjoy doing that's not ministry related. And that's really helped sustain me in my ministry over the years, not only in revitalization, but in, you know, I've served some really very large churches as well. And I think for revitalizers and probably planters as well, that's a really important thing for you to do for yourself. And, you know, you don't have to share it with anybody else, but you just know, certainly if you're married, you're, you and your spouse are on the same page with that. Um, and so it could be it could be anything, but as you noted before, Bart, it's really important for you to do something that you enjoy doing. Right. And it's because you'll keep doing it. And it's it's recreational for you. 
you're recreating yourself. And so it's recreation and all that. So, um, but that's part of it. I think that's, that's a really important part of that, you know, in, in terms of analogies and helpful frameworks, that's a really good one to use. Right. And uh, this kind of brings us to to an interesting part. I think we can almost conclude on this is sure. you can't really give what you don't have. Exactly. Um, and this is true of all pastoral ministry yes. and parenting, Christian parenting. Is, right. Um, if, if you aren't um, living life, I hate to use that phrase, right? Because it's so vague. But um, <laughs> if you aren't living the Christian life, uh, engaging in devotion, mm-hmm. living for pastors, studying the Word of God, trying to live according to that by God's grace, um, under- trying to live by God's grace, right? Sacramentally and uh, in terms of your life of prayer without ceasing and so on and so on, um, you don't have enough to offer because what you're actually That's right. Bringing as a pastor, one of the things is how to live the Christian life mm-hmm. and to help your people do it, um, both leading them in the worship, uh, in the liturgy, uh, as we as God's people assemble together to call upon his name, but also mm-hmm. just in the day in, day out. Um, and if if you are telling them to do something and you cannot or do not do it, um, right. you're going to there's going to be a lot of dysfunction. Mm-hmm. That results from that in your family and in your individual life. Um, that absolutely is going to be totally unsustainable, and you don't want it to be a you know the story to end in a tragedy, right? Right. Um, and so, it, both revitalization and planting have their challenges. Mm-hmm. I don't. You haven't planted a church, have you, or have you? You know what? I we were involved in a church plant for a short period of time, eight, eighteen months. But it's kind of like the group. This is in uh, the Mississippi Delta, right? It was like it, if and I, we didn't go to there to plant a church. It just kind of happened, right? But it's almost like a dream sequence where this lovely group of young families. I mean, there are probably forty people. Yeah, had started meeting together for a Wednesday night Bible study. So we just happened to be there for a period of time and be and the church planted. So I was involved in one in that sense, but I didn't, I didn't go intending, you know, I didn't go with the team or go through the, the typical uh, patterns of doing that. Well, well, that, that, that might then limit the question, but yeah, how is, what is different about revitalization than planting and how do you kind of prepare for those challenges if you decide to do one rather than the other? Because here's a common complaint. Um. Well, we already have tons of churches. We need to make them more healthy. Right. And you just keep planning churches and taking them away from other churches when you should be reestablishing and, and you know, whatever yes, needs to be in other right. churches. Um, I'm not always fully persuaded by that argument. It depends. Mm-hmm. It depends. Right. if, But um, by that, what is different in revitalization? What yeah. are some of the unique challenges that are different from planting, and mm-hmm. and why doesn't it happen as often? I guess. Yeah, and I think that's a great question, Bart. And I think part of it is it's a it is a different skill set um, for revitalization versus planting, and the pro- maybe more importantly, I think is um, it takes a different type of person. And so, with revitalization, and I and I th- just returning to the imagery we've been using here. Uh, my 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 
understanding of most church plants is it's more of a sprint. And you've got, there's a lot of activity, there's a lot of energy up front. Um, and so for revitalization, though, it takes a lot of patience. And so just your demeanor and your your makeup as a, as a human being, um, it's it's odd. It's an odd combination where it does, like you said before, it does require there it does require a lot of energy on your part as a revitalizer, and it also requires a lot of patience. And those aren't two things that often are coupled together in a in a person where it's like, you know, I'm I'm used to getting things done immediately and moving on to the next thing. Um, and I get impatient uh with with you know things that don't work immediately so both those things have to be true for a person who's going to be a you know to use the term successful maybe an effective revitalizer mm -hmm. um you have to be patient because it's going to take a long time i mean but and to address the second part of your question i think i think it's a hard it's a in the long run it's a more difficult work uh revitalizing than planting because revitalize if you're planting a church you establish the culture when you start it. Mm -hmm. you, you initially, you don't have you don't have the people just waiting to tee off on you the second you assert your authority. Mm -hmm. And so, revitalization, you're it's it's almost like you're you're walking into a bar fight. It's a brawl, <laughs> and um, you know, and you do it on purpose. You're going, no, I'm going to go in there and see what yeah. I can do. And nobody in their right mind, unless you're a psychopath, would want to you know to do that. But that's what we do. And yeah. so, again, that's where I think the structures are so important for us is, um, you know, you're, you're saying, hey, we can do this together. So we actually, as revitalizers, we actually do have a team. Right. And it, it is there. That's the diocesan, diocesan structure, if you're blessed enough to have that, and your bishop. And then, um, as we've seen with our cohort, you have other clergy, too. Um, and so, uh, but I think that's, from my experience, that's the main difference is, you really are parachuting in and you're you're looking to to take new ground. Um, and it does feel very, very lonely at times. One of the things we talked about a lot in our cohort is um, my gosh, you're it just feels like you're in an island by yourself and you 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 gotta have to you have to figure out how to survive first, and then you focus on thriving. And I think um, you know, we're we're really blessed in Shreveport that we we are. We've entered into a period where we are. There, the congregation is thriving. I mean, just as individually, people are 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 growing in their faith. They are. They love each other. Um, we've learned how to fight, you know, about things. And then we have our. It's not perfect by any means. And I'm, you know, I don't think that that spirit of conflict. I don't think ever goes away. It just kind of hides for a bit, and it'll come up somewhere else until people leave. And so, but we don't want them to unless they have to. And mm -hmm. so, but I think that's it, Bart. It's just the, the difference is that patience piece and then having an ability within yourself to take the long view and commit to it. And for me, that happened over time. Um, I did not, when we first came to Shreveport, I didn't know that's what we were doing. I didn't know we were revitalizing this church. Right. And I thought, I, I thought the bishop asked me to come here um, to help close the doors. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, and I thought, but but it turned into a revitalization, and so again, so it's just one of those things where we've learned we've learned along the way. Keep chopping wood. We just keep at it. Um, try to learn those things that we can and uh, apply them to, you know, the the years going forward. So, 
It's been, it's a wonderful ministry. It's, it's one of the things that my wife, Shree and I talk about. It's one of those things, Bart, we are like, I'm not sure you'd sign up for it again. You know what I mean? It's like you, you, I don't think I would want to be a serial revitalizer. And because it is costly and it takes, it takes energy and patience and time and you, you, you do get beat up. If, 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 if the culture is going to change, you do, it's going to be costly to you. And so you have to find, so where I am now is I'm glad we're revitalizing and I want to stay in this church because we've now hit the point. And I think the ultimate goal for revitalizing parish is that you become a church that plants churches. Right. And so we're now there. And so, and it's a, we have three, we have two uh, younger clergy who, who are, who are being trained and we, we're starting this fall. We're calling it a um, we're calling it a missional curacy. And okay. so these these young clergy are coming into training. So they're going to do it here. And so we the church has been revitalized, and now it's becoming a missional congregation. And so that just happened the last few months, and it's very very exciting. And um, again, God did it. I didn't have that as a goal. Um, I do now, but only because it's already happened. <laughs> So it's one of those things I want to put on my checklist and say, hey, we did that. Um, but by God's grace, he did it, and we're we're participating in the process. So it's so if, if you stay at it long enough, you know, and for us it's been eight years. And um and after eight years of ministry, we're seeing the fruit of that, of just of keep chopping wood. And then so one of the things my wife likes to say is we keep chopping wood, but and God brings the fire. Right. And um, that's just a wonderful analogy we've held on to. And um, and then, you know, one of the we met a young artist here in Shreveport who said, uh, and I was just, she asked, said, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I've, we have a church and it's a small church. And she said, um, well, you know, it's not how many people you have. It's having the right people. And that's another thing that we adopt and said that she's exactly right. And obviously had grown up in a church, a church community. So. And that's it. We're aiming for health. We want to get the right people on board. Um, some people are going to need to leave. If if there's conflict, they're just going to need to go. And But there's a wise way to do it. I think a right way to do it, an, un, an unwise way to do it. And so it's all that. All that's wrapped up. My big thing, Bart, I would say for any revitalizer is um, avoid the isolation. And because mm. that's, the, I think, the number one killer is if you're alone, you feel alone, you don't have support. You're. It's just going to be incredibly difficult, and I don't think you're going to enjoy the ministry. It's just, you know. And Shree and I learned learned early on that uh, no one's going to take care of you. Mm. And I know that sounds harsh, and it sounds it sounds brutal in a way. But but just adopting that mindset is, is you're going to have to care for yourself. And your family, and you're going to have to find the resources to do it because people don't know what you need, and in times you don't know what you need. You know, it's just this is really right. difficult, and so that's where the the isolation. If you can avoid that at all costs, um, and you can, there's ways to do it. We've done it through the cohort, right? Uh, well, and I don't want to push it too much longer, but we yeah. even talked about kind of harkening back to the fact that it was you know priestly ministry, pastoral ministry. Uh, diaconal, you know, Episcopal, yeah. right? All the pastoral ministries, um, you know, they were professions. Um, That's right. It's not nine to five clock in. Instead, 
it can be any and all hours. It can be less than 40 or it can often be more. Yeah. And working with people a lot and also mastering your discipline or disciplines, yeah. right? So the three original were a doctor, lawyer, and uh, priest mm -hmm. for each village, right? Those were the three original doctorates you could get at the university. And those mm -hmm. were the three things every hamlet has. And those are three things that they don't work like other kinds of work. Right. <laughs> Uh, it's a weird way to live. It is. You, you can, and it it can attract oddballs, but it can also, I think, um, notice notably uh, isolate you, especially in our time yes. uh, yeah. and and age. And it's not like quote unquote normal life for a lot of other people. And right. kind of coming to terms with that, and then trying to build a healthy, uh, joyful life, understanding that, right is is really quite important and helpful yeah absolutely um, i think that's well said yeah brethren we're not professionals in a certain sense <laughs> right as that famous book says but absolutely. also um there are elements to the fact that you actually are mm -hmm. um, just not in the way that what people mean today that's right yeah. you have professed an oath um an ordination oath and said you know, accepted the call to be set apart to a certain use. Right. But it doesn't mean that you are the know-it-all expert. Um, right. Quite the opposite. That's right. Anyway, um, Tony, thank you for your time. Thank you for your thoughts. Thank you for your work on the cohort. Uh, we've really benefited from that, those of us that are part of it. Um, for those listening on the show, uh, we hope this content was interesting to you um, and enjoyable. Um, and also, we hope that, uh, you know, if you want to hear a different kind of content or if you'd like to hear more of this, please let us know on social media and other avenues. Uh, until then, uh, we pray God's blessings for you and we will catch you up as we continue uh, our explorations together on the podcast. Bye.